Good morning. So every year when Trinity Sunday rolls around, I want to write and preach this beautiful, lyrical poem of a sermon. After all, Pastor Tier noted a few weeks back that I rarely get the fun sermons. You know you can tell that amongst the three of us clergy that we sometimes complain about the sermon texts that we end up with. We also read each other's sermon drafts, and um, to make things interesting, Pastor Tier decided to add some lines for, what did you call it, some spice? Razzle-dazzle. <laughs> or razzle-dazzle. I'm going to leave those lines in, yes, but I'm not going to tell you. You just get to guess which ones Pastor Tier added. The Trinity is a beautiful depiction of the divine. It's poetry. It's a dance. But because our human language always falls short when we try to describe divine mystery, words feel clunky sometimes. And sometimes they fail us. When I start to preach on the Trinity, I worry about it being too much of a lecture. And I also worry about letting down centuries of great theologians and seminary professors and walking right into heresies. And I worry about letting down Pastor Tear. <laughs> and because someone in their infinite wisdom decided to place Pastor Tear on the Board of Ordained Ministry for the Virginia Conference and the Theology Committee, he thinks he knows things. <laughs> so what is the Trinity? The simple answer is that God is Father and Son and Holy Spirit, or that God is one in three or three in one, which is sound theology but terrible math. We believe in one God, and yet it's almost like we found a loophole to believe in three. The Trinity is a way of explaining and thinking about God and the actions and expressions of God that we find throughout Scripture and human experience. You'll find that in Scripture the word Trinity doesn't actually appear, but the formula does, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. The Trinity tells us the story of God. Robert Jensen is an ecumenical theologian and director of the Center for Theological Inquiry at Princeton, and he writes that the Trinity distills the plot of God's whole history with Israel, as the first believers read it in their scripture and as what they had experienced in the resurrection and Pentecost. The story, the plot of God. In Genesis, when God speaks, we know that this means God the Creator is speaking because God is, well, creating. The spoken word that comes out of the divine mouth is what the Gospel of John explains to us as the word made flesh to dwell among us. The word in Greek is logos, but in the flesh incarnate we call this word Jesus. The wind of God sweeps across the waters of chaos, wind, breath, ruha, spirit of God. The Father is God, the Son is God, the Holy Spirit is God, but 
the Father is not the Son, and the Son is not the Spirit, and the Spirit is not the Father, and so on. So the same, right, but not the same. That's clear. And not the same as one person with different roles. Though this is a helpful way of thinking about the Trinity, it's also considered a heresy that we call modalism because it reduces the Trinity into three modes or three job descriptions. And Pastor Tier can confirm that modalism will get you into trouble with the Board of Ordained Ministry. So, but this is not to completely contradict Ms. Linnea's children's message, because I knew what was coming there, right? This is not poor planning, because it's helpful, especially when explaining this to children who are very concrete thinkers. How can someone be one thing, but also many things? But the subtle distinction is that God is three persons, not three roles. And unlike three persons, though, is not fully separate. Mount Olivet, for instance, for now, has three pastors. And we work intentionally together as a cohesive force, as cohesive as we can be, like a WWF tag team. But at the end of the day, can you guess whose line that was? <laughs> But at the end of the day, we go back to our own homes and our own families because not only are we not divine, we are also not so closely enmeshed and we do have boundaries. We go to our own hair salons and barber shops, for instance. The members of the Trinity cannot do that. They are always together, even if we're only speaking or thinking about one of them. Ian McFarland was my professor of systematic theology at Candler, and he helpfully informed us that the persons of Trinity cannot go out for pizza without all three of them going together. Jesus, the Holy Spirit, they were both present and active when the Creator was creating and forming the world. This is what John is talking about when he writes, in the beginning was the Word, putting them all together, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit all present all present at the birth and also the death of Christ. And the Creator and the Son were present when the Spirit was breathed onto the disciples. And in our lesson today, when Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit all three of them present together. Pick any moment in history, in scripture, and it is not just God the Father while the Son and Holy Spirit are off doing other things. And while we may think of ourselves as having many different roles or personalities in the way we show up, we are still the same person. Even if Pastor Sarah sounds a little bit different from Sarah as a mom or as awesome sauce, apparently. <laughs> Speaking of moms and motherhood, the traditional Trinitarian language is gendered. You probably noticed. Father and son are typically associated with male pronouns. But we know that God encompasses all genders and is yet also beyond all genders. 
God exists and is creating with word and wind before human beings are made into distinct biological categories, long before gender as a social construct even exists. And so we can use different language here too. The Trinity, classically referred to as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, are also God the Creator, God the Son, God the Spirit, God the Mother, God the Word, God the Holy Ghost, God the Creator, the Redeemer, and the Sustainer. We can get tripped up pretty quickly in our language for God, but the creativity of language inspires us to keep trying to name the mystery. The Trinity are not parts of God, but persons of God. The Trinity are not separate persons, but a deeply connected community. God is a community, a family, a relationship. And God, as a community, inspires us, made in the image of God, children of God, foundationally created to be in relationship with one another, to be in community, to not be alone. A reminder that life, faith, all of it is not meant to be lived alone, because even God doesn't go about being divine all alone, but in a relationship within God's self, a community of mutuality and belonging and flourishing and love. In our baptism liturgy, we use the Trinitarian formula. We, we baptize in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. When we welcome those who have been baptized then into confirmation, as we will in a little bit, they are taking the claim made at their baptism, whenever that might have been, whether it was as infants or as young children or just a few moments prior. They are able to claim those vows made on their behalf for themselves, to join in the membership covenant with the entire congregation. And they become part of this community, part of the household of God, part of the relationship with God and with each other, the relationship that we find modeled in the very essence of God's Trinitarian identity, a community of sacred equality. We often speak of the persons of the Trinity in hierarchical terms. Sometimes if you're looking for images of the Trinity, you'll, you'll find a pyramid as though God the Father, God the Creator were, were somehow more important than the Word or the Spirit. We also sometimes see this as though the Creator is is first, and then the Son is just a little bit, you know, less than the Creator, but close, and then the Holy Spirit, for sure, is kind of an afterthought, right? The Holy Spirit is wild and unpredictable, and we don't really know where to place the Holy Spirit. But if we are thinking of God as a hierarchy, if we are assigning various levels of significance to each person, then we're creating this sense of inequality, we end up emphasizing one over the other, right? Usually, Father Creator over the Son or the Savior, and the Holy Spirit is its kind of like a funky little sidekick, right? Like the chicken hey-hey and Moana, you know? Cute, 
provide some comic relief, maybe even some words of wisdom, but they are not the main character at all. But we know that this is not how it is with God. There's no hierarchy. There's no, there's no triangle of importance. There's just interrelated equality. And while we're having fun with language, what if the persons of the Trinity, instead of persons, were verbs? Franciscan priest Richard Rohr maintains, quote, that God is dynamic, a verb rather than a static name. God is interbeing itself and never an isolated deity that can be captured by our mind. God is love, and we know that love is both a noun and a verb. God is family. God is relationship. God is, God is father, son, and spirit. God is mother, savior, and wind. God is creator, word, and breath. God is a dance. God is a community. And God is eternal. Jesus was present at the moments of creation. The Holy Spirit that descended on the apostles was the same wind that swept over the waters of creation. God has been with us always, forever. And we find comfort in that. In the midst of the chaos of life, in the chaos of every age, God, eternal and triune, has been with us, continuing to create and redeem and sustain us. Amen.